Merry Christmas. I think that one thing that really excites me about Christmas is um, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh. And that, uh, and that his story is not just somewhere out there, independent and isolated, but it interjects with my life, with your life. You know, it's an intervention, a divine intervention into humanity. Uh, and so as we come to talk about and, and to look at Christmas, um, I think sometimes familiarity just loses its uh, you know, the intensity. And I pray that it's not the same for us. You know, every time we, we speak about Christmas, we seem to have forgotten. You see, th- these are the times when uh, Hollywood puts out its movies, right? And like, everybody's talking about the movies. Uh, our uh, retail is actually talking about the commerce, you know, these new products that come out, and we get excited about that. Or, or entertainment puts out its gadgets and its toys, and, and in the clutter and the clamor, the, the core message is often forgotten. And I pray, this is my prayer, this is my prayer for us, that just as Mary said in her Magnificat, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And that is my prayer. And, this, and, and that in all this, that he would be glorified, that God would be glorified in our midst. You see, so what we want to do as we look at the uh, Christmas narrative is to, we want to we see that from the eyes of Mary. We want to see it from the eyes of heroes of faith during our times, people who lived during our times. Uh, want to see it through the eyes our eyes, our perspective, but more importantly, to uh, see it through how God looks at it. And I think that's important. So that's the fresh reminder. Earlier this month, on the 7th of December, Helen Roosevelt passed away in Ireland, UK. An article that described her story said, the, the world is not worthy of her. She was a, a doctor, a medical doctor in the 50s. She went to Congo, what is now called the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And at a time when ladies would not go, at a time when single ladies were not sent, she goes to Congo. And she is, she is stationed up north in an isolated place. And there in a leprosy camp, she converts that leprosy camp into a 100-bed hospital. She trains African girls to be nurses so that they could go out as missionaries and evangelists. And, and very quickly, she is called now Mama Luca, very fondly because of all the work that she's been doing. And in 1960, Congo gets its independence. It was a Dutch colony, gets its independence. And because it was a mineral-rich country, by 1964, it was fighting one of its greatest civil wars, one of the brutal civil wars. And Helen Roosevelt, with nine others, ten missionaries, were imprisoned. They were badly treated. She talks about a time when she tried to escape, and uh, she, she says that she lost her, uh, uh, her back of my teeth to the boot of a rebel soldier. But that's not the worst part of it. In October of that year, she gets brutally raped. 
And so that evening, as she's trying to hold on to that semblance of dignity, she cries out, Lord, where are you? I'm forsaken. I I feel so alone. Why did you allow this? And uh, she writes about it later, but she says she felt the Lord speak to her, not in words as we see, but she's putting words to the experience that she had. She felt the Lord hold her and said, will you thank me? So with every fiber in her body, she says, no, I can't thank you. I can't thank you. And the Lord, it seems, continued to say to her, would you thank me for trusting you, even though you don't understand what happened? You see, I could have taken you away. I could have, I could have not made you go through that. But I have a plan, and that purpose, this is part of that. And I trusted you with that. Would you be thankful? And so she, um, she says, as she looks back, she understood that till all this time, she was trusting Jesus, but she considered it a privilege that Jesus would trust her with an experience, a despicable incident, and something that we, you know, we abhor, but that she was trusted by Jesus. Uh, Where do I say the story? Where do I say this on our Christmas Day? I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 38, just a few verses from the passage that we just read. And uh, this is a passage when Gabriel actually comes and talks to Mary. And Mary says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I am the Lord's bond servant. Let him do as he chooses with me. You know, I, uh, I, think, about, uh, I think about Mary uh, and I think about Gabriel. And I, I don't know whether you, whether you think this, but in my mind, I was just thinking this. You know, Gabriel was given this message to go, you know, tell and speak, uh, tell uh, Mary about the coming Messiah. And I, I don't know if Gabriel went saying that Nazareth, where, where's Nazareth? Or, or did he say, Nazareth, like, you know, no good thing comes from there, Lord. Or, or, or did he say, the Messiah is going to be uh, given to a teenager, like nobody trusts a teenager. I don't know how many teenagers are out here. It's not me who said that, okay? It's Gabriel who said it. Uh, we know teenagers have a lot of potential, but can you think about it? Think about it. Think about the context of where Mary was. She was living at a time where... Um, you know, this would be very difficult. Uh, I, I, want you to, I want you to understand two things. One, one is that she was engaged, right? She was engaged. She, she lived at a time when, when girls uh, reached puberty, that could be 12, 13, 14, or whatever it is, they get spoken of to be married to a young man. And, and that young man goes off, builds himself a home at the end of the year. Usually it's about a year's time, and they come back to take uh, his bride-to-be to be his wife. And during that time, they live uh, separately they, 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 in every which way. 
And uh, one other thing that really caught my attention is that for 400 years, God had not spoken. You know, about a year ago, there was this rumbling of something that happened in Jerusalem, in the temple. But that was Jerusalem. This is Nazareth. Now, Mary had to go tell Joseph that God had spoken to her. And it's in this context that we read this, right? That, behold, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be according to, my, according to thy word. And it says, and the angel departed from her. And I'm just saying, if I were Mary, I would have said, wait, 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 where are you going, angel? I mean, you need to be with me. I need your protection. And like, I need security. And like, now I'm supposed to be the mother of the Messiah. You can just leave me alone. Or, you know, why this private revelation? What, what, let's go to the public square. Let, let you, know, you proclaim. Let everybody know. Let them know that this is legit. Or, you know, let me go grab Joseph. Let, let, let me get Joseph, all right? You speak to both of us. We can do this together. But her reply was just that. Her reply was, behold, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm God's bond slave. Let it be to me according to your word. Let him do, one of your translations would say that, let him do to me as he pleases. I'm the Lord's bond servant. And I, you know, what are the consequences when she says that, right? I mean, uh, she'd, she'd be, she'd be uh, um, you know, Joseph's going to leave her, and that probably was the least of her worries, right? And uh, uh, she'd be like a single parent, having to take care of a child with no skills to take care of, uh, of the baby. Uh, they didn't have uh, uh, peel health uh, care, you know, to take care of pregnancies like these. And uh, worse, she would be stoned to death. It's in that context. I want you to understand. You see, because um, we are such rear-view mirror uh, drivers. We, we watch in the rear-view mirror and thank God for the incidents and the choices that we've done and taken, and, and we're excited about it. You see, we can look back and say it was such a blessed thing that Mary would be chosen. I wish I could be, I could have been Mary. I, you know, it, it, it was me, not me. But do, 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 you, do you understand? We, 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 we often lose opportunities because we are not bold like Mary to say, I'm God's bond slave. A bond slave who has no will of his or her own means that I belong to the master, I belong to his will. He can do to me as he pleases. And so I think about this since the only, you know, some of the missed opportunities that we have because we have not been bold like Mary. But if you come down to uh, verse 45, uh, sorry, verse 40, and I'm going to read that till 45. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you, women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and listen to this, and blessed is she who believed that there would be this fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed are you because you believed. I, I don't want you to miss that, that this blessedness, uh, Mary, in spite of the context, in spite of the consequence, would say, I am my, my God's bond slave. Let it be to me according to thy word. And so these two stories, Helen Roosevelt, who just passed away this month, and, and, and somebody else, uh, this Mary 2,000 years ago, the, and many in between, I asked myself this question, why this loyalty to this child who was laid in a manger? Why? Why are people willing to offer so much and I want to say just one other thing about Helen Roosevelt because, you know, you would think that, you know, that was the only incident. She writes in her story, she writes this, that every night as soldiers, these rebel soldiers would come and take women after women and send them back, she would go stand ahead in the line so that lest someone else would not have that experience that night. And I can, only, um, I can only say, oh, that love of Christ, how much it must have gripped her that she'd be willing to do that. For this person we remember this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the text that we have is Mary's Magnificat, that's what it's called. And our text can be divided into three parts. Mary's response, Mary's reason, and Mary's respite. Mary's response, her reason, and her respite. And her response is from verse 46 to 48. 46 to 48, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I want you to notice her first response is to magnify God. Her first response, in spite of context and consequence, she magnifies the Lord. And so we ask this question, what does that mean to magnify we know we, we say that to make big. Uh, we often think sometimes to make big is like looking through a microscope and, and so, you know, it becomes big. No, that is not what's happening here. This is like looking through a telescope and bringing to our perspective something which is huge and beyond our comprehension so that we can just get a glimpse of the glory, the excitement. We can also say magnify is to make room, to, to say, listen, nothing else is going to take the space. 
the only priority, the only person who occupies this place is magnified. Because, you know, when sometimes we come and say we need a little more space, but when the Lord comes, he says he wants all the space. That's what magnifying is about. And that's what Mary does. And she says here that my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You see, for Mary... I don't think she expected anything, you know, rather than just a mediocre life because she was a Nazareth. Every girl, every woman had this desire. It's called the desire of the woman, desire, uh, desire that every that the Messiah would be born through her. Uh, but uh, she's a Nazareth. Nothing's going to happen in Nazareth, and so she confesses her her state and her situation. She says, he has regarded me in my low estate. You see her gratitude. She is grateful. Uh, gratitude and, and praise are so interwoven, right? I mean, so because you're grateful, the natural response ought to be and will be uh, praise. I'm not sure if uh, you read this email that you may have received. Uh, I'm talking about Marg Jank. She was here uh, last year, a couple of years ago. She was, uh, she was a missionary who was with the Yanomami mis- uh, Indians in Venezuela in the Amazon uh, rainforest. There she worked for 50 years, living with them, living like them, so that she can learn the language and translate the Bible into their language so that people could come to know Jesus Christ. And tribes and tribes out there have been transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many years ago, uh, she had a battle cancer. There was a time when her liver was so damaged. She went to the doctor. doctor says, there's no way you can go back to Venezuela. She said, listen, I've got a God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to come back tomorrow. Give me a second opinion. And she does that. She comes back the next day, and the doctor looks at it and says, yeah, there's no problem with your liver. You can go. Because the work wasn't done. Earlier the year the work was done she gives off her computer she does all that she returns back battling cancer and today she lives in a hospice just a few feet away from the door that will lead her to to her master that she loved and she served and this is what the letter is all about it's called the second most important thing the hospice home serves excellent meals but still the food tray went back barely touched it was hard to let that go she didn't drink more than a sip and it was hard to let that go she grasps at wayward thoughts what was that important thing that we were supposed to say? She asked me as I sat on the bed, on the side of her bed, my arms around her thin shoulders. I don't know, I answered. But she persisted. Was I supposed to say it or were you? So I kissed her on the cheek and I said, I love you. This is her son writing. And I said, and that's the most important thing we can say. She grinned. I love you, she said. Yes, that's the most important thing to say. And then after a pause, or just one beat, and she continued, so what is the second most important thing we were supposed to say? P.S., I love you, Mom. I never have to let that go. Oh, this is a path that none of us kids have ever been down before, but we have seen the Lord provide grace for Mom in the midst of her struggle. Listen to this. When our pain or confusion increases, so does her verbal outpouring of thanks. 
Sometimes she is thanking a family member or a caregiver for a small kindness shown to her, and sometimes she is obviously battling through the pain by breaking out into a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Not sure what mom would have thought the second most important thing to say is, but if we had to guess, it would be thank you. Now think about this. Now when I go through pain and when I'm stressed, I'm irritable. I, I just want to lash out at people, though I don't want to. What Mark reminds me and what Mary is reminding me. You see, the context and the situations, if it can take away our gratitude, if I can take away our praise, then there's something wrong. Because I, if, if you have this habit of writing down in the leaf of your Bible, I want you to write this. When you feel your praise is gone because there's no gratitude, I want you to write, gratitude is a healing bomb. Gratitude is a healing bomb to a heart that has lost its praise. Gratitude is a healing bomb to a heart that has lost its praise. You see, we can't praise. Praise doesn't come to us naturally because we are not grateful. We're not grateful that God would be made manifest in the flesh, that God would take us through some of these situations and challenges in our life, and these seem to overwhelm us and not realizing that God has allowed for you to be trusted as you go through that, to be thankful because he would trust us. Helen uh, Roosevelt in a book, Give Me the Mountain, that's the book that she writes describing these suffering. She says her life verse is Philippians 3.10, that I may know Christ. Yes, and the power of his resurrection that I may be a participant with him in his suffering and be like him in his death. This progressive knowing of Christ. She says that for many years she didn't know why such an incident would happen. But then she says, you know, as she looks back, uh, she says it for herself, she says it gave her a license to talk to people in similar situations, open doors so that brutally abused and, um, uh, and women who were so badly you know, facing life storms in a very bad way, she had the opportunity to minister to them. I have a, I have a friend who has a child uh, with disability, and they had to recalibrate the whole life, the entire life. I mean, they're not able to get away, do nothing. Like It's like a 24-7 care. I, I've never heard them say, Lord, why us? Why us? Why are we going through this? But I've heard them say, thank you for trusting this child with us. It just changes your perspective when we recognize that conditions are not larger than God's control and that he allows for certain reasons, his sovereign reason. 
and he calls us to be grateful, just like Mary. And if gratitude is what we need, that question is, who has stolen our hearts? Why and what has captivated our hearts more than Christ? You know, would you therefore in the face of challenges and situations say, behold, I'm the Lord's servant, may be to me according to thy word. And so that was Mary's response, but also let's continue with Mary's reason in 49 to 52. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Now, I'm not sure if you noticed, but there's a prophecy in her praise. There is, they're saying that this Messiah, it's not just about his first coming, but also about his second coming. This Messiah is going to overthrow thrones. And Mary declares that this God who had promised, all these promises we were talking about, is the one who provides. And then as you read in that verse where it says, uh, he has filled the hungry with the good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And she, she's saying that, you know, this is not just about the surreal salvation that I have to wait till the end of my year in life or whatever. This is something I can enjoy today. This is not about, you know, the life beyond it's for today. He's a God uh, of today. Not just the grand scheme of things, but my daily provisions. My daily provisions. I'm not sure if you uh, saw this email that was circulating. It was called the hot water bottle. About in an African country where there was this child who prayed for a hot water bottle. And uh, the hot water bottle arrived. I want you to take a listen. As well as organizing the school, another part of Helen's work was supervising the maternity unit. Day and night, expectant mothers arrived from the villages. Often there were emergencies requiring surgery. Sleepless nights and perpetual tiredness became a way of life. But occasionally, something very special happened. This reminds me of a story, and I hadn't been out here very long. I was called over one night to the maternity, and despite everything we did very sadly, the mother died. We were left with a little tiny baby, much smaller than this little thing, little premature baby. And I knew that the problem to keep the little baby alive was to keep it warm enough. So people midwives, one went out to get the boxes we used to use as cots, the cotton wool to wrap the little baby in, put hot water bottles either side of it to keep it warm. And one girl came back into the room and said, terribly sorry, doctor, we boiled the kettle, we took the hot water bottle, we were filling the bottle, sudden bang, burst hot water bottle. And she added, it's our last hot water bottle. And the next day at midday, I went to have prayers with the orphanage children, as I always did, any of the kiddies who wanted gathered around for prayer time. And uh, I'd given them different things to pray for. And then I mentioned this little baby and asked them to pray for the nurses that they'd be able to stay awake all night to see the baby didn't get cold. Told them about the burst hot water bottle. And the baby had a little two-year-old sister who was crying because her mummy had died. 
So during prayer time, different children prayed, and then one little girl, 10-year-old Ruth, prayed in the usual very blunt way of our African children, please God, send us a hot water bottle. Now God, be no good tomorrow, please send it this afternoon. And when I sort of swallowed, uh, she added, while you're about it, God, would you send a dolly to the little two-year-old sister so it should know that Jesus really loves her? Quite truthfully, I didn't say amen because I didn't believe it could be done. And that very afternoon, a truck drove into the village, dumped a parcel for me on the veranda and went. And when I got over to my home, it was the first parcel I ever received from England. There it was, done up in paper, string, stamps, etc. And I think I felt a lump in my throat. I felt I couldn't open it alone, so I called all the orphanage children. with a great crowd around me. We opened the parcel, we pulled out lovely knitted jerseys, bandages, soap, and as I put my hand down into the parcel, I pulled out the brand new rubber hot water bottle. I cried. I hadn't asked God for it. I didn't really believe he could do it. Ruth was in the front line of children. She rushed forward, said, if God sent the hot water bottle, he must have sent the dolly. And she dived into the parcel with both hands. From the bottom of the parcel, she pulled out the dolly. And she looked up at me with bright eyes. Mommy, she said, can I go with you and give that dolly to the little girl? She'll know that Jesus really loves her. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He is the one we come to remember. He is the one we praise. He is the one who magnifies. He is worthy. He, he is worthy to be magnified because he regards us in our low estate. But he is also the one who reigns in might. I want you to know that. Prov- providing for us in, through Jesus Christ everything that we ever want. Look at the last part of that from 53 to 55, which is Mary's respite. Her rest, her confidence, her comfort, 53 to 55. He has filled the hungry with the good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever is a God who remembers, a God who speaks to the fathers, to, to, uh, to Abraham and to the offspring, a God of the past, a God of the present, a God of the future. You see, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 says this, for surely it is not to angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham. So we talk about Christmas, right? Christmas is um, God coming down to keep his promise. Over 2,000 years ago, when, when God who holds the world came down so that it would be held and beheld by this world, God keeping his promise that he would be Emmanuel, God with us, and, and that came at a cost. We remember that this morning, his death, on the cross. He pays the full price. And, and as we understand this great truth, as we understand that, that the cost has been paid and it's so precious and the gratitude and the privilege, then we don't ask questions about like, what kind of a cost am I going to pay in return to this privilege of knowing Jesus Christ, God, as mine. 
Christmas is about God giving of himself. And so do I even ask a question, if God can give of himself to me, why am I holding back in giving of myself to God? I love the song which says, God with us, you know, uh, by Graham Kendrick. Let me read that verse. He walked where I walk. He stood where I stand. He felt what I feel. He understands. He knows my frailty, shared my humanity, tempted in every way, yet without sin. God with us, so close to us. God with us, Emmanuel. God with us. And that's, that's the message of Jesus, isn't it? There is... Uh, there's a story about George Harley who sets up a clinic, a, a chapel and a medical clinic in Liberia. And this is in the 1926. That year which he, he set it up, 10,000 people he had already taken care of as patients, but nobody came to his chapel. And then one, one day his five-year-old Bobby gets this tropical fever and he tries his very best, but he dies. And so he takes this little Bobby's body and, and goes outside of the village to bury it. And, and as the, one of the villagers comes to help him, uh, he notices that as the body has been put into, the, into that pit, into that grave, uh, this Dr. George just breaks down and starts to cry, saying that in this African jungle, 8,000 miles away from my home and from my relatives, he felt so alone. He started to sob, and this man starts to look at him for a long time. Then he gets up, and then he runs back to the village. This white man, this white man, he sobs, he cries just like us. And I want to say, this is our God. He understands what he's going through. We read that in Hebrews 4, doesn't it? We, we have a God, a high priest, who can empathize with our every experience, everything. Nothing that we have gone through is greater than our God. Um, Helen Roosevelt speaks about another incident, and I think it's it's important as we as we try and capture the essence of what happened uh, on, uh, on the Christmas day. She was talking about when she had to uh, build a building she, for the extension of the hospital, and she was involved in brick making. And her hands were all dirty and everything else, and, and that's the time when she gets this message saying that she needs to run to the hospital because somebody's dying and and so she runs all dirty and she's getting all cleaned up and scrubbed and they put put this up you know the antiseptic on her hand and it starts to burn and she says she got angry with God said Lord I came here to serve as a doctor why am I why am I serving I mean why am I making bricks later that night as she was still struggling she shares the story with the others during the prayer meeting, and one of them said, "Doctor, when you're in your white clo- white dress as a doctor, we are we are we are scared of you. We can't talk to you. But when you come down and get your hands in there, and you're like us, and you make mistakes, and we laugh at you, that's when the message of Jesus becomes true to us. And I'm saying this that my Jesus, He came down, He got His hands dirty. So this message of Jesus is real." He's not a God who's isolated and separated and far away. 
He's a God who speaks to us. He's a God who, who, who intervenes and he says, listen, stop. I want to bring you back these, these things that, you know, whatever it is that's troubling you, whatever it is that, whatever it is that prevents you from giving of your own, of your whole. Or that, like Mary, we'd be able to say, my soul magnifies the Lord and my Spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, making room, making room for God himself, for the Lord himself to be in our hearts. The song that goes, Oh, our hearts as busy as Bethlehem. Hear him knock, don't say there's no room in the inn. Through the cradle, cross, and grave, see the love of God displayed. Now he is risen and he reigns. Praise the name above all names. Prepare him room, prepare him room. Let the king of glory enter in.